Canuck Central Tuesday. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw here in the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? And Canuck Central is brought to you by Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Main, or at EnzymePacificChrysler.com. CA the Vancouver Canucks returning home from their ages long roadie going 5-1 and 1 through the trip losing in a shootout yesterday to the Columbus Blue Jackets. I do have a uh, a theory on on the shootout with the Vancouver Canucks at What's your theory? Uh, they are so focused on being a playoff ready team that they just don't really care about the play, uh, the shootout Ooh. all that much. Wow, that's a that's a really nice narrative explanation. <laughs> hey, I don't man, buy it at all. We but live yes. on narrative streets. We do, we do. I mean, I think it was Elaine Vigneault mentioned they don't really practice the shoot up back in the day too much. Like I'm not gonna waste yeah. too much time on this. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't love the shootout. Um, it's, it's a necessary <laughs> evil to get through the regular season. Yes, but um, yeah. More uh, more pressing issues to discuss today uh, because the Canucks are really good and they went 5-1-1 on the road trip. So, yeah, uh, falling in a shootout uh, under tough circumstances to the Columbus Blue Jackets is not ultimately where the focus is. But here's a team. They're at or near the top of the standings, depending on uh, who you ask or what you want to believe. And um, growing in confidence, growing in consumer confidence, growing in stature as maybe one of the contenders in the NHL this year. But the biggest question around this team still remains Elias Patterson. And in a Q&A today with Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet's very own triple threat, Ian McIntyre, Patrick Alvine was once again asked about Elias Patterson, and this is the question. Is there any change in Elias Patterson's situation, any sign of negotiations resuming? And Alvine responded with this. I have conversations with his agent, but nothing obviously has changed. We want to keep Petey here. He knows that at some point it's going to come down to negotiations and if it's working or not. We have another year with him as an RFA. We're not going to lose him this summer. But that being said, I'm trying to plan for our team this year and next year, and I want him to be a big part of it. And a follow-up is asked, based on your experience, is this situation unusual a core player eligible for restricted free agency wanting to hold off negotiations, Alvin responds, maybe a little bit, yeah. So what do we think about this situation and how it is developing? Well, it's, it's, it's like he said, nothing's really changed too much. I mean, we're at a point now where it's kind of a holding pattern and they're just trying to find out, like, where do we stand? Yeah. You know, I, I was kind of joking with Halford and Bruff yesterday. It's kind of like when you first start dating, you go on a couple of dates. And it's like, so where are we going? Are we like, are we going forward? Are we not? Like, where are you at? Are we going to, like, are, are, is this is this going to be a thing or not going to be a thing? You know what I mean? And nobody's really telling one, the other person where they're standing, except for the Canucks are very much saying like, we want you. <laughs> like, we love you. We want to keep you. And we want to give you a long-term deal if you if you like to sign it. But there really hasn't been much communication outside of what they've been speaking to the agent. And the one disclaimer I will throw out there, and, and I'm Mac had it. He spoke to Pat Brisson, and Brisson mentioned how they are going to get back and have some sort of discussion around the All-Star break. So, like, it's not like it's at a point where Pat Brisson is just 
deflecting and, and saying, you know, uh, some weird things or whatever. Like, I, th- I think he's being pretty straightforward about they want, you know, obviously they want to work something out here potentially. They're open to having some discussions. They just haven't got to that point yet. They keep saying, be patient. But I think it's pretty clear they want some sort of assurance from Pedersen that he does want to be here. The urgency seems to be picking up uh, with Canucks front office. And I wonder how much of that is just like, hey, Patrick Alvin is, is doing the rounds. He's doing his, his midseason availabilities and, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, which you know every general manager is, is going to do here probably over the next couple of weeks or a week or so and in the lead up to the All-Star break. But it, it does just feel like, hey, we're really good now and we you know we're going to get into what he said about the trade deadline but they're you know about to decide how in they're going to be on this season and what types of players they might be acquiring at the deadline and planning for this year and next now that they have publicly stated their window is open but this is and it should be number 1 on their priority list get this done so that they can understand a little bit better what the layout's going to be over the next two to three years. Yeah, and, you know, like we mentioned before, I think the guys to really keep an eye on are Teddy Bluger types, the Sam Lafferty types, because every, you know, 100,000, 200,000 is going to be really critical to those guys to sign and also how much money you have left over to sign players like that. And the players who always get cut are kind of the middle-class guys when you can't afford to pay them. And at some point, they may look at it and say, well, if we're paying Pedersen this and Heronic this, we really have no other choice but to hopefully promote some guys within and maybe try to find the next Teddy Bluger in the in the offseason. Maybe try to find the next Sam Lafferty instead of paying the ones that are already here. I think it was pretty clear from Patrick Alvin's interview with Ian McIntyre that they really liked Teddy Bluger. He was the guy he kind of mentioned as he probably doesn't get quite enough credit. They love his professionalism, that what he's taught this group, and they feel like he's the type of player who set a really good standard and clearly has been a very good two-way player, especially defensively for them, that maybe he's a guy they like to keep, but can you really go down that road until you know what's happening with your two big players, the first one being Patterson, the second one being Hironik? And, you know, Bluger, look, the way he's played, the amount of points he's putting up, he's in for quite a bit of a raise here. He's on 1.9 this year on a one-year deal and probably looking at two and a half, maybe closer to three million as a guy who's performed as a really high-end third-line center playing uh, both ends of the ice and putting up a lot more offense than he had in in other years. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that, yeah, you're right. You know, it, it becomes harder to extend yourself to – uh, the the depth of your roster when you don't have a sure idea of where Pedersen's number is going to end up. Now, Pedersen, whether it's 12 or 11 and a half, like that might not seem like a lot, but, you know, half a million dollars when you're playing right up a, a, against the salary cap, you know, those those are the kinds of things that decide whether or not you're able to keep this player or, you know, what we're just going to have to promote somebody from Abbotsford and, and have them play uh, on the roster next year. Or th- those types of decisions you know, are the kinds of things that, that end up getting decided when you're deciding between seven hundred and fifty or $600,000. It might not seem mm-hmm. like a lot, but when it comes down to it, you have to work with finite do- dollars. Well, yeah, I mean, seven fifty, or I guess uh, league minimum next season is going to be close to eight hundred k. Yeah. So, I mean, eight hundred k is a roster spot, and when you're looking to build your team out, you're hoping to have the guys that are your seven defensemen to be league minimum guys. 
there's a guy, right? I mean, if you yeah. can save 800000 that's a roster spot you take care of. And if you don't, then all of a sudden, okay, well, how many league minimum guys do we have to fill our roster out with? And you have to have a few. The Canucks have a few this year. You Noah know, Juleson being one, uh, PDG being another one, and then obviously you have the uh, entry-level contracts. But you're going to need to have a few. The thing is, you want to avoid being in a situation where you have to have four or five guys on a league minimum contract because you simply can't afford to bring anybody else in. So... You know, the, the other thing with, with Pedersen, we're getting a, a ton of reaction uh, on, um, on on the discussion. And, <laughs> you know, some of the are, are all over the place. Let Pedersen walk. He's not worth 12 and a half anyways. Why mortgage the future on him anyway? Because you don't have a future without him necessarily. <laughs> uh, the, the future without Elias Pedersen would be um, uncertain at best. Yeah, I don't think I think it's very hard for you to win that trade and come away with a player that's better. I think the only way you can do that is if you're somehow getting like at the first, second, third overall pick and you nail that selection. Or for instance, and I'm just you know mentioning just an example is all I'm using here. Yes. Really, nothing to report or anything at all. But for instance, if you're talking to a team like Anaheim. You probably look at it and say, well, I want Leo Carlson. And can Leo Carlson be a frontline center one day, a guy who was a top three overall pick? And if he's a number one center down the road, well, okay, maybe you start piecing it together and say, okay, we finally got something, but you're not getting a player back tomorrow that's going to give you the same impact Pedersen has. Your best hope is that player becomes that in two or three years. And that's like you're being really optimistic about it. Yeah, you know, the the, the most recent example is the Matthew Kachuk situation. And um, while it seemed Brad Treliving, then with the Calgary Flames, did a pretty good job in navigating that situation, how's it worked out, right? You know, you, you gave up the best player in the deal. And even though you got two pretty good players back in return – it hasn't worked out for the Calgary Flames because when you give up the best player in a deal, generally you are losing that trade. And mm-hmm. I don't really see any sort of machination where the Canucks make a trade for Elias Pettersson and uh, they end up getting the best player in the deal because he's a top five, top ten player in the league. And to answer the question, people are saying just trade him or whatever, and that's why the team is going to do everything they can to get him signed. Yes. Because any other avenue, as much as, hey, you got to do what you got to do if you're up against it, it's not preferable. Like the best situation you can imagine is him staying. Yeah. And the team. And again, like every time I talk to somebody, they've always said they, they have this air of confidence about, hey, we'll figure it out. We have a good relationship with him. Um, he hasn't told us much yet, but we feel confident that the situation we have, he's going to feel comfortable signing here. But the longer it takes, the more questions arise. And at some point as an organization, you have to do due diligence, right? You can't just be sitting there and caught with your pants down if one day he tells you, well, I'm not going to stay here. So at, at what point do they start doing their due diligence of knowing what their options are if he doesn't want to stay? Now, I'm not saying they're there yet, but I do think this is part of the conversation here. And the reason you hear them talk about we want to get certainty, we want to know what's going on, because you want to get an idea about like, okay, what is our team going to look like in a few years? Like, Is this going to be a guy we're going to go with? And if not... What do we do next? Yeah, and and even in the unlikely scenario that Pedersen, they get to the summer and Pedersen's just like, you know what, I'm still undecided. I'm going to take my qualifying offer <laughs> and and play out this year. I mean, that's a situation that that even worse becomes a situation for the Vancouver Canucks, where you're almost like, well, we have to trade you because we can't afford to lose you for free. Um, so, as much as he's a restricted free agent and they still hold control over this player because of his status around the league and his stature in the league is one of the best players in the NHL. It's not a regular restricted free agent. He holds so many cards and, and that's the thing about this situation that I keep coming back to is, you know, at the end of the day, 
As long as Pedersen's healthy, the longer he waits to talk contract benefits him. Whether he wants to, uh, you know, gain leverage to get the best possible contract with the Vancouver Canucks for him and his future, whether it's he wants to improve his status and give him even more power when it comes to dictating where he wants to play next. Like, there isn't really too many doors that he would open up that says, you know what, this this is worse for me because I waited. The only thing is the potential of an injury. And other than that, the way he's playing, probably being a back-to-back 100-point guy playing the middle of the ice, like, there's not too many doors you open as that kind of player, and the longer you wait for a contract in that situation, the better the circumstances get for you. Yeah, it becomes more favorable, right? I mean, you start having all the cards in your side. I mean, the only thing, the only way it can blow up in your face is if you truly want to stay here. And at some point, you know, someone like Rutherford's like, you know what? Like, we got to move on. You know, we're done. And again, I don't think, I mean, to me, that's like the things really have to fall apart to get there. And I don't think we're there, especially with how the team is playing. Like, if this was a, a big issue, would it not be a distraction in the room? They're certainly not playing like there is, right? So, yeah. I, so, I, so I would hesitate to talk about it being this huge issue. But again, like at some point, people making decisions you never know how they react to these things what the other thing that i would say too and i think with Pedersen, and we joked about this before like i really don't think he has much patience for a lot of questions like we joked about how he was asked about the lotto line and he was like being sarcastic about love talking about the lotto line it's like dude you were asked about it for like a day like you're on the road it's like you know kate Pedersen asked you about it maybe one of the writers asked you about it but really it wasn't you weren't being inundated with question after question you know what i mean like they made this switch on the road and a couple of guys asked you and he's already kind of rolling his eye over the question which tells you I don't think he likes to deal with too many intrusive questions and updates on where he stands with the contract. So I think for him, the best approach to have, and you got to be really, really careful trying to assume what Pedersen thinks, but, but based on his actions, the way I view it is, I don't think he likes to answer these things. And if they're not going to be able to do it quietly, then I think he'd just rather wait to have those discussions. So I do think we have to be careful assuming just because he's you know not saying anything that it means Pedersen wants out because I do think he's a bit different with how he's wired. And I do think part of it is if he opens up and says, yeah, let's talk contract and all the negotiation details get out and we hear updates all the time, Every day he's going to be asked about, so what's going on? When are you going to sign? Have you signed yet? What's the latest offer? What do you think about this? And I don't think he wants to deal with those sort of things. So can you do it quietly with it, without it getting out? That would be the best avenue to go about it. And maybe that happens. Like, I, I just from a how would it work best uh, for negotiations? Like, if you were to sit down during the bye week, maybe that's not how you want to spend your bye week. But uh, that could be an area where it makes sense to do it. And through the all-star break if not beyond that um maybe yeah you, you shut it down for the year after after that but it's you know it, it's becoming an increasingly talked about situation uh, not just here in vancouver but across the league uh, this question comes in just curious what would Pedersen be worth on an offer sheet like the the chances of Pedersen signing an offer sheet are so incredibly slim uh that I'm not sure it's it's really um, because like why would Pedersen sign an offer sheet if he wants to play somewhere else? Tell the Canucks and make them work out a trade with that team. You know what I mean? That's what I see. That's what I see. Too. Because if you give if you if you sign the offer sheet, that gives the Canucks the option to match, and then you're under contract with the Vancouver Canucks. 
So now, when you match this offer sheet, there are some restrictions on when you can trade a player. Now, when it's one year from UFA, there are other restrictions that, cut, that come into it. But yeah. you, you get backed into a corner if you – the Canucks would be backed into a corner if he signs the offer sheet. Yeah. They would not be in the position they want to be in. And then once he does that, I think it makes it pretty clear he doesn't want to stay, right? And, I, again, like, I don't see it – to me, it would be a completely um, – it's something without precedent. It's unprecedented if he signs a one-year offer sheet somewhere. Because if he really wants out, that's the only way you can do it. Sign a one-year offer sheet, tie the Canucks' hands behind their backs, and really really get get your way. And then you can reevaluate in a year regardless of where you sign from, right? But that would be completely No team is doing that, you know? Well, like, why the would thing. they give up four first-round picks for one year of guaranteed Elias Pettersson? Well, unless, unless you're signing for, like, say, eight-something. Or yeah. nine something, and it's a one and a second and a third or whatever it is, right? Like, right, if right. it's that, maybe a contender looks at it and says, "Hey, oh, let's sign him and let's just give this up, and we have him for a year, and we go for a Stanley Cup, for instance." Now, the Canucks would would be in a position where they would have to match that, but because of the restrictions of matching it, it puts them in a really un- unenviable position, and you really don't want to be in that spot. So, I think, and again, I don't. Again, that's an unprecedented situation. Answering the questions again, like that would be the first time in NHL history a player's done anything like that. It would, uh, it would be <laughs> completely unprecedented. And yes, this is well, we answer your questions, all of them, as many as we can uh, during the course of the show. And there's a lot coming in at the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, Elias Pettersson is still the biggest priority for this team, and I think, and one of the things I'm noticing uh, with uh, the fan base, it seems like whether it's Twitter or the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Feels like people are starting to turn on Elias Pettersson a little bit, and I, I'm not sure that's fair. But that's I, I'm I'm also not surprised that that's how some people are feeling about the situation, especially with the team being as good as they have been. Yeah, of course, right? And and I think a lot of fans want players to love the logo, love the crest, love the city, and show real commitment and desire to stay here, right? I mean, it's part of fandom. Like I look at it myself and I view it from say my, my favorite soccer team right Chelsea for instance like I want players that care for the badge right and if player doesn't care for the badge I'm less reluctant even if they're super talented I'm like can you keep this guy around so I get where it comes from you know what I mean in terms of like if this guy doesn't really want to be here as talented as he is like should we maybe move on from it but we have to be careful assuming he truly doesn't want to be here because he hasn't said much yet and that's the thing I keep coming back to. It's yeah. like, I see, I get it. And I think Raymond poses a good question. He says, you know, every time he's asked, does Pedersen want to be here? Alvin answers and says, he wants to be on a winner. And it's like, should I be worried about that? Like, aren't you a winner now? And it goes back to what we mentioned. There hasn't been this commitment yet from the player to make it feel like, hey, I want to stay here. Because as much as Nylander played hardball with the negotiations, he always made it clear he wants to stay. You've never heard that explicitly from Elias Pettersson, and I don't think they've heard that explicitly behind the scenes. If you had, I think Alvin would have answered those questions differently. Yeah, it uh, it feels more like a player who's not ready to commit, and uh, you know that's the Pierre Luc Dubois of the world, uh, the Matthew Kachucks, um, and even go back to John Tavares, where you know his last year with the New York Islanders is like, I love it here, uh, just not ready to to talk contract just yet, and then course he ended up uh you know deciding where he wanted to play in in unrestricted free agency not completely similar situations but uh the lack of commitment generally means the player may may want to see what other options may be out there and that is a yeah. possibility with Elias Patterson. and the only thing I want to add to that is regardless of what the situation is like it seems very unlikely anything comes to a head at the deadline yeah like look at the team the success they're having how well they're playing 
And if you're looking at making that type of move at the deadline, like it, it changes the entire trajectory of the season, where you're headed, all the work you've done to get to this point. You know what I mean? It's a sizable. Uh, it would be such a big earthquake to everything going on that it could derail everything. So I just don't think it's going to come to a head at the deadline. So as much as their immediacy is there, I'm not quite sure we're at a point where we're anywhere near a breaking point. And uh, when talked about the deadline, uh, there's a couple of things uh, that Ian McIntyre asked Patrick Alvin about the, the upcoming trade deadline. One was with uh, Andre Kuzmenko, and if that's the biggest decision he has to make before the March 8th trade deadline. And also is, you know, with the team obviously having a chance to win, will you be aggressive ahead of the deadline? And uh, the, the immediate answer is what sticks out. Well, I think I owe it to the players. We'll talk about Kuzmenko a little bit more later on, but you know that from from Patrick Alvine is as much of a statement of intent of, yeah, we're going to be really working to add to this team ahead of the deadline than we've seen before. Yeah, and it shows you how much they they see the opportunity in front of them. And, you know, that word, rewarding the, the team, I think part of it is rewarding the team, but it's also taking advantage of what's going on right now. And, like, I, I'm not sure I can put the Canucks in that tier of, you know, top-end cup contenders, like cup favorites, but are they a team that is that is now capable of perhaps winning the Stanley Cup? Are they a team that you can categorize as they could win the cup this year? I'm there. So if that's the case, then don't you have to give yourself the best chance to put yourself in as close as possible to the favorites category? Yeah, you do. You know, there's there's no real sure bets in in, in in hockey. And as we see right now, you know, Jack Eichel's got a, got an injury. He's out week to week. How's he going to progress as he gets, uh, you know, is he going to be 100% by the time he gets to the playoffs and playing as well as he was last year? The Colorado Avalanche, they're, they're a one-line team. Like, as, as much as, you know, that one line is incredible, they're still just a one-line team. Why else would they be running, you know, guys like Jonathan Drouin out 25 minutes a night if they trusted more guys on their roster? Like, just the top of the West. Western Conference just isn't as vaunted as I think uh, we, we thought it might be at the start of the year. It really isn't. And I mean, even a team like the Colorado Avalanche and Gabe Landeskog is, is back skating and perhaps could be back for the playoffs. But where is he going to be He's at? He's played after in this two season? years. Exactly. So where is he going to be at? Now you have Nuchuskin. And, and I hope and, you know, I, I wish the best for Nuchuskin. He's in the player assistance program right now dealing with his things and issues. And who knows where that's going to go, where he's going to be at. But he's been an incredible player for him this year. So now he's not involved. They have other things kind of going on there, too. So are they a bit shaky? And then you go through the rest of the rest of the West. It's really Vegas that I'm most concerned about. And now Jack Eichel's week to week. Who knows where that's going to be trending towards over the next little while? So there could be an opportunity here this season that if if you do add one more guy, and perhaps two if you really want to get you know spicy with it. But if you add one you know player up front, like how how far off are you from those teams? Even if you are still a step behind them, it's not significant enough that you don't feel like you have a chance in the playoffs against them. Yeah, and the Canucks have a lot of elements. And look, you add a top six forward to this team, and all of a sudden they might look even more like a cup contender. But uh, we'll see what happens as the deadline draws near. We'll talk more about what uh, Andre Kuzmenko means to this roster and how he fit in, fits into this puzzle. But also we're going to have a couple of guests coming up. Don Taylor will join us. Didn't join us yesterday. Obviously, we didn't have a show with the Canucks playing a matinee day game. And Irfan Gaffar. Canucks insider a little bit later on his take on the Pedersen negotiation or lack of negotiations. The weekly update with Earth, I guess we should call it, on uh, on Elias Pedersen's situation and where things are headed. That's coming up on Canucks Central. 
Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Big Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. News Canuck Central. We're here in the Kintec studio, and Canuck Central is for Enzyme Pacific. Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Maine or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. Uh, a lot of reaction on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Trucker James. No offense, but most of the reason fans are getting needlessly upset or nervous is because media won't let it just play out without so much attention. I get it. You all have a job to do and need content to talk about, but sometimes I feel it's better to just talk about what is actually happening or happened rather than discussing topics that in reality only three to four people truly know the facts. That's from uh, Trucker James Sat. Well, I mean, by that logic, you should never look into any um, un define situations because hey we don't know the truth about this or that only three or four people know about it i mean that's to me it's it's i get what what james is saying and i understand like you know obviously media asks questions they're answering it it becomes a talking point no doubt i understand that but it would be a dereliction of duty to not ask about the contract situation of the most talented player on the team yeah Uh, you know what i mean like it's 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 kind of like let's say any like for instance it's like having you know somebody who's um whatever in news that's the mayor of the city and like not asking about okay well he's he hasn't declared if he's going to run in the next election or not let's not ask him because only he knows the answer what's the point of asking him about it yeah it's uh it's just one of those things and and here's the other side of it if we don't ask about it you know how many how many messages we get how, how many yeah. questions we get. Like, we're talking Canucks games, but people are constantly asking us about Patterson. And once it goes out, it becomes the most listened to and read thing out there. And even when we're not trying to do it, like, you have Patrick Alvin on for an interview. Yeah. And the thing was, the interview that IMAC did, it was a bunch of questions, a couple on Patterson, but a bunch of other things that were being asked about. If you have Patrick Alvin on, how do you not ask him? If we have Patrick Alvin on and don't ask about Patterson, we get roasted in the text inbox. We get roasted on social media. Like, why aren't you asking about the biggest question? Yeah, and it's not exactly like this is a Vancouver-only thing. We saw it with the Leafs, how many questions for Nylander and Brad for living about Nylander and Austin Matthews before that. And then it's going to come up and it's going to be Mitch Marner. And over in Calgary, they're asking about Noah Hannafin and his contract situation. Is he going to be traded or are they going to sign him? Tampa Bay Lightning just answered a bunch of questions about Steven Stamkos today. So, you know, it happens everywhere. Uh, let's bring in our next guest, uh, Don Taylor. Joining us uh, here on Canuck Central, as he does every single week. Uh, what do you think, Donnie? Is there too much focus on Elias Pettersson's contract situation? No, absolutely not. That's part of our job is to ask those questions. You never know. Something might something might come out of asking that question. Look at what happened with Tampa Bay and Breezeball saying, no, Stamphouse is not going to get traded. And Hey, maybe that maybe he was BSing. I'm not sure. But you, you can build a conversation. You're, you guys are doing talk radio. You know, the show that we're doing, same sort of thing on, on, on television. You can build a conversation around that. People are interested in that sort of stuff. I mean, look, like even even yesterday with Mike Tomlin, you know, the reporter who asked about him, him having a year left in his car, he walks out of the yeah. out, out of the room. That's 
that's awesome. I'm sorry, but that that reaction elicits all sort of sorts of uh, conversation. You can just tell it's a sore point with him. I mean, that's that's part of our job, I and mean, you never know something might come out. I have no problem with it at all. Elias Pettersson is arguably the best player on this team. He's about to become an RFA. You got to ask those questions. You can't ignore them. You know, and, and for people who and, and look, I respect anybody who who has an opinion out there, who follows the team passionately, no matter what side of the coin that they, they, they fall on. But it, as many, if people are criticizing you for asking those questions or criticizing uh, IMAC for asking those questions, you'd get 5 million percent more if you didn't ask that question. So it's a no-brainer. No, absolutely. I mean, it's, and, you know, and people say there's other things to talk about. It's like, well, we talk about the other things, too. It's not like we don't. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we, we did two-hour post-game yeah. shows. We talk about the game. An hour pre-game show, we talk about the game. And pretty much 95% of the discussion has been how good this hockey team has been this season. Yeah. But, but the reality is, anytime there is something that has been uh, unresolved and it involves your most talented players, like, it's, it's kind of your duty to ask about them. And as far as the stuff with Pedersen goes, like, what's your what's your take on it? Like, are you at all nervous or are you on team? Let it let it play out and see what happens. Um, well, the RFA status makes me less nor- nervous than I than I would be if, if I was in Toronto before Nylander signed. He was, he was a UFA, and the Canucks have gone on and on. This is the one nugget they keep giving us is that you know, he's under team control for this season and next. Um, and you know, of course, that could change if if, if they decide they for whatever reason don't don't want him anymore. So. I'd be more nervous going into to next year or, you know, whenever his next contract comes up. But I, 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 I'll tell you why, if I'm a Canuck fan, I wouldn't be nervous because Elias Patterson doesn't seem like a stupid guy. Is he going to go, and, and every player, when they want, look, it's a business. They want money. The money has to be good. It's going to be good for him. Is he going to go to a better situation? Like, like, I know things have happened very quickly here in terms of them looking like some sort of contender, but is he going to go somewhere else where it's better than it is in Vancouver? I, I, maybe, you know, like I, I, there's always that possibility, but it's looking pretty good right now. And you combine what he might feel, uh, feel is, a, is a decent contract, uh, good money, with a chance to be fairly close to, I, I can't believe I'm saying this even, it's, I'm living in Vancouver this, this long, but an NHL title, and, and he's there from... You know, such an early, he's there right from the start of his career till now. You know, the the part, the pro, the businessman in him will probably want to stay and his pride will want him to stay. I, I don't think I'd be, I don't think I'd be that worried. I mean, the cap situation is, is, is tough. I get all that, but I think that he's, he's going to stay. Is he going to find it better somewhere else? Of course, there might be that possibility. But right now versus a few months ago, there aren't many places better than Vancouver, Vancouver right now. And maybe he's into not getting taxed to death. Maybe, that, maybe that's, that's part of it. I'm not <laughs> sure. But in terms of on the ice, I don't know if it gets much better than, than here right now. Again, I can't believe I'm saying that, but I honestly believe that. Well, it's, I mean, it just shows how far this, this team has come, Donnie, right? And, and to be where they're at at this point in the season and – you know, uh, as uh, the the other really interesting part of that Patrick Alvin interview with with Ian McIntyre is, you know, when he's asked about uh, plans for the trade deadline, and he essentially says, "Well, I owe it to the players, don't I?" And uh, it kind of tells you where they're where they're sort of leaning as far as how aggressive they're going to be, and 
You know that they're they're looking at a lot of options to try and find uh, the right fit for this roster at the deadline. I, I just you know I wonder how much they push those chips in this year. Yeah, and you know it's funny when I heard that and I was listening uh, today when uh, six fifty was talking about it, and the, the one thing that hit me was they got, I owe it to the players. And does that mean you got to go out and get somebody, or does that mean you reward them by keeping what what has been really successful intact? I think it means the former. I think it means that yeah. they're going to go out and try to get somebody to help that top six. I mean, uh, the situation with the second line, and if you want to keep the lotto line together, the so-called second line, uh, you know, with, with and this is not a criticism of them. I'm just stating facts. Mikheyev, Suter, and Kuzmenko have combined for two assists in the six games that the lotto line has been back together. Two assists. No goals, two assists. Mikheyev has no points in eight games. So if, if you indeed want to stay the course with the lotto line, and why wouldn't you? you you've, you've got to help that, that second line or just that line, period, no matter how you designate it. Yeah, I mean, and I think on, on that second line in general, and one of the things I think we're kind of finding out over the last little bit, and it's kind of funny to say considering they're 5-1-1, one, and one, is that they, as good as it is to have the lotto line together, there will be inevitable moments where they get shut down or they don't quite yeah. have it. Where is that next push coming from? And yeah. I think it's pretty clear when you, when you watch the team and you hear what Alvin says and what Rutherford says that they wouldn't just like to add a player but an impact player. Yeah, and you know, if you go into a playoff series, teams are going to game plan against that line and maybe nothing else. They will just go out of their way, do whatever it takes. I'm talking about, obviously, you know, uh, line matching. Uh, you know, we saw what the Blackhawks did to the Sedins, poking at them every second way back when, before they slayed the Dragon, whatever it, it takes. And if you've only got one line that can, you know, really hurt a team offensively, then they're going to just go out of there. They're going to lick their chops. They would absolutely love it. So to add a piece and to go back to what I said earlier, I think that's what they're thinking as opposed to rewarding them by keeping the group together. To add a piece is vital. Otherwise, Miller, Besser, and Pedersen are going to get picked on to no end come come the postseason. It's got to be a top six forward, doesn't it? Yeah, I would, uh, I would think so. You know, cause, and of course, the name that comes to mind is Gensel. Yeah. A because he's a penguin, and well, first of all, he's pretty good. But <laughs> a, a, yeah, a UFA, but he's a penguin, and he's not Canadian, so he's clearly going to come to Vancouver, right? Yeah, and I. Uh, That's a joke, guys. Come on. Well, I mean, they could make one heck of an American line uh, with, uh, with uh, right. Miller and, and Besser, <laughs> right? Don't the Canucks have more Americans than they do any other nationality on their roster? I'm pretty sure they do. Yeah, I know. It's just, and you know, you look go on social media. There's no shortage of people that, <laughs> you know, that they're called the Canucks for God's sake. So they, <laughs> what do they got like a you know one and a half Canucks on the on the roster? Yeah, it's uh, sometimes the way it goes. But as long as they're winning, people uh, people yeah, will be happy. Absolutely. And, you know, absolutely. I know I, I heard you and Dolly talking about it today, and and. Maybe the ask from the Penguins might be, uh, you know, uh, Lekaramaki and, and Tom Willander. I mean, sure, maybe that's the the initial ask. I don't think you can really uh, expect uh, to get that much of a return for a rental player. But it's clear if the Penguins are going to go down that road, it's it's going to be a pretty pricey acquisition for whoever were to get Jake Gensel. Yeah, I always go back to Rick Nash and what. I mean, this was a few years ago. What you know, Boston paid for him, and it was it was a whole lot. Uh, you know, um, you, you see what the Bruins uh, paid. I, I can't remember which one uh, got them, uh, the team that traded. I think the Red Wings got a whole lot for Bertuzzi 
uh, versus what uh, Orlov got, Washington got for Orlov, yeah. or the other way around. Anyway, th- those rental players could be—we all know this—they could be very, very expensive, and you better be damn sure that you're close if you're going to do that. And even if you think you are, look what happened in Boston last year. So, uh, buyer beware. But if you don't take that chance, who knows what could, what, what could happen? No, and one thing I would say too, and, and I think Dollywall is right. Like, if if you're asking about Gensel, I'm, I'm sure the first thing Dubis is going to say is first round pick Willander and Lakiramak. You always start very high. I remember when <laughs> yeah. I remember even Stu Jackson knew this. I remember when he was he said when he was talking to the Houston Rockets over Steve Francis. You shouldn't said, well, give was, Stu Jackson credit for anything. Uh, just just wait, just just <laughs> let me finish. Even Stu Jackson understood is what I'm saying. And as bad as he was, he's like, well, I was asking for Hakeem Olajuwon and and Charles Barkley from the Rockets. They weren't trading those guys, obviously. Yeah. I mean, he was joking. But but, you know, th- that's the point. Like, you always ask for the best assets. But what we also know is rentals, as much as the price can be high, like it's very seldom going to be your top prospect unless your top prospect is Aturatu, who really is like a on most teams, yep. not a top four or five prospect, right? So, yeah, could I see the Canucks doing something along those lines? Sure. But I don't think the price to get a rental is going to necessarily cost you your best prospect because what we've seen through NHL history is usually it doesn't. Yeah, I could see I could see Nils Hoaglander being the answer. Uh, along with some, some some sort of a draft pick, and maybe some people would say that's high. But l- let's be honest here: uh, Niels Hoglander has been in the top six, has been pushed down, um, and you've had three coaches question him. I mean, you've, you've had Travis Green, Bruce Boudreau, and, and and now Rick Tockett. You know, wonder about his two hundred foot game, get frustrated by his two hundred foot game. But there's that potential there with the forechecking and with those displays of skill. He puts on once every two weeks or whatever. They're just they're, they're in the right situation. You just wonder what he could do. But if you're going to get Jake Gensel, if you're going to get anybody that can help your top six, you got to give up something. And I think Hoaglander would be more certainly more likely than someone like Atu Ratu. And and you certainly don't want to give up Lakarabaki or Vlander. But he he and you know a couple of other assets could very well be the answer. It, it just feels like. Um... The way the Western Conference is shaping up, it does feel like you know there's an opportunity here, right? Colorado, they're pretty short-handed. You know, they mm-hmm. got, they're, they're pretty much a one-line team these days, Donnie. That's a pretty good one-line, but uh, you know, beyond that, they they really struggle with their depth. Winnipeg's been great, but they're kind of similar to the Canucks, where still people are wondering how much they should believe in that team. And there's Dallas and, and Vegas and L.A. who who all have their flaws. Uh, Vegas, you know, dealing with a Jack Eichel injury. Maybe they can turn it on for the playoffs, but you know, they haven't been that expiring. Uh, and, and I think this is the story around the NHL. Like, there hasn't really been a standout favorite in the way there was last year. Yeah, and the one team you didn't mention in the West there is Edmonton. Yeah, you know, you know, they they've won ten straight. And if I'm not mistaken, guys. If the Canucks and uh, as of right now, if the, if the, I hate when people say this, I would hate it. But you know, it's way too soon. But if the playoffs were to end today, the Canucks' reward for finishing first in their division, the conference, and the league would be a first-round matchup against Edmonton. <laughs> Are you really confident? I, I know you know the goaltending. The Canucks have them beat, but that would just be so Canuck for them to be matched up against Edmonton. That'd be a hell of a that, series. Yeah, oh my gosh, could you imagine? But uh, having said that, they get past them, and then who knows? Like you say, it's pretty wide open right now. Like who could who, who can really predict what's going to happen in the National Hockey League, much less the Western Conference? It's a it's a, it's a whole lot of fun. But uh, you know, di- don't discount Edmonton, you, Vegas defending Cup champions. Like you say, 
all sorts of injury problems led by uh, by Eichel. There's just there's just so many question marks. So wh- why not Vancouver? Uh, I mean, and that's kind of you know the. the... The way I view this team is I don't view them as a cup favorite, but are they a team that if things align, could they pull it off? And if you feel like you're there, then I think it behooves the organization and the front office to do everything humanly possible without obviously paying a price that's exorbitant to give yourself that opportunity. Because, I mean, we mentioned the Patterson thing, and and I don't need to tell you either, Donnie. You've seen a lot of iterations of this team, but waiting for the time to be right down the road, that time may never come. Yeah, yeah. Are you saying I'm old, fat? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not. I'm just saying, like, you've. And I, I put well, myself I in that category. Like, but I've, you, oh, you've been watching on. this no, team forever. Please, please. I see <laughs> I, you on TV. Saying. You're looking unreal. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, my age, uh, I, I, I think that the TV may be a bit kinder than what my actual age is, but we'll leave oh, that for a different come on. day. <laughs> looking good. <laughs> hey, um, no, but uh, yeah, it's. Um, now, where were we? I, I just I got flustered by thinking of you on television. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying like for for all this talk about hey, you can't, you know, you have to hold on to your bullets. You never know when you might yeah. need them down the road. Like you never know if an opportunity like this is going to come around in a few years. Yeah, especially with the, their their cap situation, and we yeah. talk about this all the time. Your OEL, you know, that the, the penalty there is not going down; it's increasing, and even more so uh, the year after next as opposed to next year. So. If you know with what you're, what do you, what do they pay? One and two, two hundred thousand dollars right now penalty on OEL. This might mm-hmm. very well be the time because the cap's not going up that much. You got to pay Pedersen. You know we'll see what happens with Tyler Myers, but it, it just might be. Hey, look, we we got to go for this right now because it might not come around in this day and age of parity. And yeah, go for it. I uh, I sometimes feel we got to like sit and, and really recognize the the turnaround that this team is on uh, over the last. 12 months, right? Uh, this time 12 months ago, Donnie, we were sitting here yelling about how the Canucks were treating Bruce Boudreaux yeah. and when were they going to give him the axe and uh, just just get it done already. This is not the way you, you handle people and, and all these types of crazy. And it was the entire hockey world that was just on the Canucks with an axe, essentially. And yeah. 12 months later, they're the talk of the town. They're sending more people to the All-Star game than the host city itself. It's, it's kind of crazy how much it's turned around in 12 months. Well, okay. And, and you know, it's funny, Dan, I was thinking about this today. I have people texting me, guys who are my age. And there, there's two levels to the disbelief. First of all, if you've been around since 1970 or any significant amount of time with this team, it's just hard to believe that they are where they are right now in, in mid-January. It's just not supposed to. I know they've won president's trophies before, but this is different in that, you didn't. You didn't really see it building. Yeah, their core is pretty good, but you know the core was has been there the last few years. Everything's happened so fast. So you combine their history with just the speed at which this has happened, the speed at which this success has happened. It, your, your head is. I think a lot of people are. Their heads are spinning. They're having a hard time believing it. But I just you know you try to emphasize to people have some fun with it. It, you know, it's it's really entertaining at the very least right now. But I understand the people whose heads are spinning that, that they just have a hard time believing this on those two levels. But I, I, I just I just think you you got to enjoy it, and you just hope that when you talk about people's heads spinning, you hope that doesn't include people in the front office, Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford, and and certainly Rick Tockett. It, it, it's been really quick, but it is really hard to believe, and it is a whole lot of fun. 
Well, and, you know, I think when we look at the head coach as well, Rick Tockett right now has had more success than any other Canucks head coach in terms of winning percentage, especially since starting up. And it really seems like he truly might be one of the best coaches this organization has had, just from his communication standpoint. I don't mean with us, with the media, but just with how much in control he seems behind the bench and how he approaches things. Like, they may have one of the best coaches this team's ever had, too, behind the bench. Yeah, and hats off to Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford. Um, his record with Tampa Bay and Arizona, and I realize the situations there, were, you know, were were awkward and not not the best situations when he was with those franchises. And we all know the Coyotes are still kind of well, that kind of that way. They are are that way now, um, but they recognized something in him when he was an associate coach in Pittsburgh that told them that he was the guy to right this ship. And so hats off to you know to Alvine and Rutherford, their time in Pittsburgh and recognizing that Rick Tockett seemed like something special, and they were going to let him let him guide this ship. That's so I, that's you know a, a great move. And you know we talk a lot about the Adams Award and, and Rick Tockett, and I've been talking a lot on our show about what about Patrick Alvine because he's made all these trades on top of you know you know. Uh, you know, being in on hiring Tockett, is he a, is he a Jim Gregory Award uh, winner? Is he the general manager of the year? I, I don't know who's done a better job of turning their franchise around this quickly than, than Patrick Helvine. He, here's the thing, and as I go off on a little tangent here, I know we're supposed to be talking about uh, Tockett. The Jim Gregory Award, if I'm not mistaken, is not voted on until after the second round of the playoffs. It's a little bit different than the Adams Award, but... Um, I agree with you on Tockett, but let's not let's not forget to tip our hat to to Alvine and Rutherford for their recognition of somebody who, despite his previous head coaching record, seems to be pretty special. So, uh, okay, Rick Tockett has coached eighty games with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, right. And his record in those eighty games: forty nine, twenty three, and eight. That's a one hundred and six mm. point uh, season. Um, mm. So, even if he loses the next two games. It would be the third best 82 game season in Vancouver Canucks history. Now it's uh, obviously, of course, uh, through through two seasons, right? Because it started last year. Yeah. But his first 82 games as a Canuck would be the third best season in Canucks history, behind uh, 2011 and 2012. See, this is why I come on this show because I'm, I'm writing all this down. I could steal <laughs> it for tomorrow's show and pretend that I came up with it. So you guys help me out so much. You know, I'm going to have to start paying you. Like honestly, that's that's just out, that's just outstanding. No, it's right, and and no, nobody would have guessed that. Especially, you know, look, they didn't. No, nobody thought that at the end of last season. They seem to be playing better and more structured. But you wouldn't you wouldn't have guessed a stat like that. There's absolutely absolutely no way. Donnie, we uh, we appreciate the time as always. We'll talk next week. Lots of fun, guys. Thank you. There he is, Don Taylor, the great Don Taylor, joining us the here best. on uh, Canuck Central. Uh, we've, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny Don says that. I mean, we've all learned uh, a thing or ten from Donnie over the years, or a hundred, <laughs> I should say. Pretty much. That's uh, kind of the way it goes. Uh, we, we borrow from each other and uh, steal the, good, the best bits, and uh, that's, uh, that's how you make it in the, in the broadcasting injury. Uh, what, what did they say? Imitation is the greatest form of flattery? Yes. Is that what they say? Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way she goes. Uh, all right. We're going to get into uh, more on the Vancouver Canucks and uh, more on their plans for the deadline, plus your questions as uh, things continue to develop. Less than two months away from the deadline, 
Canucks trending in a uh, direction that says they're going to be buyers and maybe big buyers around the NHL. It's coming up on Canuck Central.